Paul and Barnabas on the first first missionary journey, quite a tour that they're making. And remember, they were pastors of the church at Antioch, where they uh, were uh, leading there, Antioch and Syria. And now uh, we know that the church has sent them out, and they picked uh, these guys to go. Well, of course, the commission by the Holy Spirit. They went to Cyprus, the island there, and from there they uh, started touring Galatia, which we're familiar with the Galatian uh, book, uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, there's a basic commission that we all have as believers, uh, as Christians. We uh, are to bear the truth of Christ to all the world. And, of course, these guys were doing that, and the uh, church has always done it. The call still stands today, doesn't it, as we are to uh, take the gospel out, to be faithful, carry out the great commission with uh, diligence. And so uh, a lot of things that we can uh, definitely learn as uh, they do their mission work. Throughout the history of the church, God has brought up certain individuals. Of course, that's what makes up the church, individuals. But certain that He's raised up that uh, move in church history. And, of course, right there from the outset, the early church, we've seen it in the book of Acts. And now we've come to uh, two standout heroes of the faith, Paul and Barnabas. And uh, they take off to the west. This is this is where the gospel went, to the west. And, uh, of course, it will go to Europe. And um, Anyway, that was where it first went. So they went across the Mediterranean Sea from Cyprus all the way into Galatia. And we had seen that they had gone to this one town, another town called Antioch, Pisidian Antioch. It's a different uh, from where they had been. They were thrown out of Antioch. It seems to be uh, something that is very familiar as we go along the book of Acts, especially uh, where we're at now. And, um, of course, they're thrown out. They didn't uh, tuck their tail between their legs and uh, just crawl home, but they continued and proceeded further uh, in Asia Minor. And so they uh, go to um, this Galatian area. Iconium is going to be the first place we're going to look at. And that's where we will pick it up when we get into verse 1. And remember, they're carrying the gospel to a real pagan world. They are out there. They're really in it. So we have titled this study, The Same Old Story. And there's nothing bad with an old story, as long as it's um, true, as such as the gospel. It never gets old, does it? But it's the same pattern. Same kind of pattern we've seen in Acts and we continue to see. We, we see preaching of the Gospel. That's the real reason they're out there, to preach the Gospel of the Good News. And there are always two reactions to it. Either people believe it or they don't believe it. Now some in their uh, not believing are kind of indifferent to it. But then there are others that don't believe and, matter of fact, they get uh, so worked up about it by rejecting it that they want to persecute the ones who are delivering this message. And uh, there definitely is no bitterness like religious bitterness and uh, no hatred like religious hatred. And that's what we'll see from their own countrymen or, or the, from the Jews that uh, were religious. It's kind of interesting to see. That pattern will continue and it always has throughout church history. When you preach the gospel, there are going to be people who believe, but there will be many who don't, and will persecute the ones who are bringing it. And you see that all the way through the book of Acts, through history. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your gospel. Thank You for Your message that You have given us. Um, there's nothing like Your truth. And... Help us to be edified here tonight. Help us to know You more. Help us to know Your ways and how You communicate that Gospel. Help us to be more bold that we would look to get Your truth of the Gospel of the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to see these men as they deliver it and um, that we too would have... Uh, even more of an interest in getting that news out. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the, it's kind of divided up with, by the different places they went. The first place is going to be Iconium. Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. And, um, okay, they got kicked out of the 
the city that they were last in. If you remember in chapter 13, um, we know that there were a persecution that was instigated by the people and Paul and Barnabas were uh, drove out of uh, the district. <laughs> Driven out of there. Not, not too popular by those people, but there are believers that have come out as a result of that. And uh, so they shook off the dust of their feet in protest and went to Iconium. That's the uh, last part of 13, it said. And, and so the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So with one thing that looks really bad, you see another aspect of, oh, well, this is God operating here because the Holy Spirit is uh, filling people with, uh, with Him and, and His joy. So here we go. Um, I imagine you could, you could hear somebody like Barnabas maybe say, okay, Paul, what are we going to do now? We've managed to get ourselves kicked out of the city. Uh, should we go back home? <laughs> no, there's no turning back to going home. Now, Iconium is a hundred miles away from Pisidian Antioch. So that's a pretty good little distance without the modern kind of travel. And you remember there are mountains where they are at. And they happen to be on uh, this city where they're going. Iconium is on a, on a broad plateau. So kind of picture that. It's between the Taurus Mountains and the Sewell Town Mountains. Whatever that means is that you have a little bit of flat land here uh, on, a, on a plateau. Plenty of water that come from the mountains. The rivers are there. That's a good place to situate an old city like Iconium. It's been around a long time. Today in Turkey, it's actually the fourth largest city in Turkey, this area. It was a Greek city at that time. Picture that. When Paul and Barnabas came, it was a city of agriculture, a city of commerce. Pretty big city. Pretty big anyway. Um, you would have a conglomeration of different kind of people there. You'd have ex-soldiers. You would have Jews. So they had synagogue there. They would have Romans. They would have Greeks. There would be a lot of Syrian merchants. A lot of different people. Some half-civilized natives that were from the area. Uh, it was kind of like a frontier town. Um, dusty. Uh, dirty, uh, bigger than a village. It's a it's a big town. It's not a huge city like some of the places that they usually go to. And um, that's Paul likes to go to large cities, and then they take it out from there. As Paul and whoever he's traveling with will go to the next city, and then they will get um, people there that are disciples, and then they will take it out. So he left evangelization to. Uh, the villages um, for the people to go there. So, as we look in verse 1, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. So, we know some reasons why he went to the Jews first. And... Here's another thought about it. If he had gone to the Gentiles first and not the Jews, he'd probably never get to go to the synagogue because he'd build an audience maybe with the Gentiles, but as far as the Jews are concerned, they probably wouldn't let him come in because they would see that he's dealing with the Gentiles. So he goes to the, the, the synagogue, the, the Jews first, but there are Gentiles in, uh, in that same place and a large number of people believe both Jews and Greeks. As, as time went. They get to stay here a little while. Uh, pretty good while. Verse 2 says, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with the reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of His grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So, large number of believers, a great number of Jews, Gentiles, and then very quickly they're going to have trouble. There's going to be trouble stirring because Satan uh, is really going to be at work where the gospel is preached and people believing. Just when you think everything's going good, quote, 
there he is working behind the scenes, right? But um, we we know we see that in verse two. The ones who uh, disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles. That word for um, disbelieved, I think what you're getting into here is that it's it's a matter of disobedience. It's not just disbelieving, unbelieving, but uh, um, a disobedience. So apparently, as you see this opposition, it's kind of underground. It's just boiling underneath, and then it's going to stir up more and more as it's smoldering. And there's bitterness, there's hatred, there's you're starting to get a, a polarization of the unbelievers and the believers in this area here. Yeah, there's definitely a division. It always happens. The gospel comes along and causes causes division. And apparently this took quite a while for all of this to unfold because um, it says in verse 3, they spent a long time there. And in the Greek tense, it, it doesn't tell us how long, but it, it's at least quite a few months. It's not just a few weeks or a few days. It's quite a few months. And it can take it all the way up to three years. I don't think it's probably three years, but we're talking a long time. It was, it was more than just a little vacation time there for a few days. It's uh, quite a while, several months. And uh, we'll, we'll notice that these guys are really bold. Uh, it says in verse 3, Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly. And boy, you have to you have to be bold to be victorious. You have to be bold. And uh, there's a boiling pot going on. There's division already stirring, and and they keep preaching. That's bold. Um, that's quite a quality that these guys have. And um, they they you know it's they resist um, when you uh, the uh, the people that they're preaching to are the, the unbelievers. Um, they're resisting you, and resisting everything that you are and everything that you're uh, you're preaching and teaching about. So it's um, that's the kind of thing that's going on. And we'll notice they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. Now they're relying totally upon God. There's, I mean, there's no other way. The only way they're going to be able to survive is absolute relying, and that's that's what we're to do. That's our whole lives, really, anyway. There's two things here. The Lordship of Christ is their theme. That's the whole idea of what they're preaching, right? And Because it says here, reliance upon the Lord. He's their Lord. And also, He is their very strength. They rely upon Him because He's the theme, but He's also the very power that they have, their very strength, their very stay, He's with everything. So, Hence, you have your boldness and the confirmation of what they're preaching and teaching by the the wonders and signs that God has granted for them to give. Yeah? It says, therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly, right, with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. This doesn't say anything about relying on the Lord. Oh, you don't have that? Yeah, mine are in italics. Yeah, NAS has that. Yeah. Which means that's implied there in the original language, but it's not necessarily there as a straight word. There's an implication. But we know that that's what they're doing. He is their Lord, so that's why it would be implanted there and be correct. But word-for-word uh, word Greek, okay, they didn't They didn't um, put that one there in your New King James. Is that what you have there? I got Now, mine's New American Standard. It, it could be... Is it ESV? 
Okay. All right. Okay. Right. Well, God is enabling them to do what they're doing, to preach this word. Uh, we know that they they know they're not doing it on their own. So they're in absolute reliance in everything they're doing. How, how are they going to live? How are they going to feed themselves? You know, they're they're going to a place where, you know, they're not working as per se. We, we know that Paul does the tent thing and everything, but until he gets established, uh, that isn't always the case. But uh, they're doing the, this preaching and then these miraculous signs and wonders to a place that has not experienced anything like this. I mean, this is totally foreign to them. And there uh, are some things that they're seeing as they're hearing, they're seeing, feeling, experiencing this. And you, you can't detach the miracles, signs, and wonders from the Word of God. Every time you see it, they're, they're, they're connected, connected together. Um, John Calvin said that God hardly ever allows them miracles wonders to be detached from the word their true use is the establishing of the gospel in its full and genuine authority and so it's not just and, and, it, and of course there's healings and of course we get a, another one on Lystra a particular one that's brought out who knows what kind of signs and wonders signs is simeon which means it's pointing to a sign points to something much greater you know it's like having a sign. We don't go out and start hugging that sign that says Jefferson City, five miles away, after you've been driving for three days. You know, and, <laughs> you know. But you know, if you're you're going to that particular time, it's pointing to there, and uh, that's the idea of uh, the word for signs and, of course, wonders is dealing with this uh, uh, the power of God. But God is giving testimony by allowing them to have that, to give it to the people. They're getting blessed. People would believe. So the Lord was giving testimony by granting these signs that pointing to Christ. It's pointing to the very power of God, how awesome that He is. It created wonder in their minds. I mean, they're just astounded, amazed. And this is done here by these apostles. And they're confirming the Word of grace. I I like this right here. As they are... Uh, doing what they're doing, God's granting that. It's done by their hands, but it's the word of His grace. The word about a gracious God. And you know, within that is all about a sovereign God and His grace and, and not about uh, any kind of works. Matter of fact, remember when Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he came in preaching this gospel of grace. He left. He heard about what was happening and legalism had come in. Judaizers came in behind them because they had heard what was going on. I'm sure they heard about the miracles and everything. And they start delivering in, yeah, you can have Christ, but you you have to have something else. And so they bring in all that stuff. The, you know, the Sabbath, the new moons, the festivals, and the, the rituals, the ceremonies. And so this is that same area. And he preached grace. And so when he writes the letter of Galatians, he's coming back and, of course, he's telling them, hey, listen, what has gotten your attention? What has happened to you? You foolish Galatians, right? Uh, they'd gone into uh, such legalism and he had preached grace. And right there we, we see that testifying, uh, it, w- it was seen by, you know, made powerful the word, the signs and wonders, the word of his grace, of his grace. Now, we get the reactions. But the people of the city, verse 4, were divided. And some sided with the Jews. And some with the apostles. Right down the middle in this whole town. And who knows? Everybody in town knows what's going on. At least uh, they know that something special has happened. But whether you want to believe it or not is another thing. And so... The Jews are stirring opposition. The whole city becomes aware of the hostility of the Jews against the, these Christians. They become divided. Um, Jews unite with the Gentiles. They're going to do physical violence. Now, this is over the course of months and months and months, and it finally just blew up. <laughs> and uh, you have a polarization. And you can even have families 
divided here. I can imagine. It's almost like a civil war getting ready to happen. So the multitude of the city is divided. Paul and Barnabas are two guys. Came in, hit town, bring the gospel of peace, and divides the city right down the middle. (laughs) Two guys did that. Plus the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can say, boy, that that's not a that doesn't sound good, you know. The gospel divides people. Sounds like God is at war with people. Well, the gospel does divide people. You'd like to think that everything's going to be real peaceful and everything would be really calm and collected and people would be attracted to what you have and that's not ever the case, is it? Some are and then some are not. And in our pagan area, it's, it's kind of hard to attract people to the gospel right now. A lot of things that people have interest in. A lot of things that pull them away. So two extremes, though. Always will be. So we see here that um, it says in verse 5, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers... So they bring in the authorities in here too to mistreat them. And not only to mistreat, but to stone them. Which means to kill them. And they became aware of it, fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the Gospel. Total divided reaction. Paul and Barnabas were bold, but they weren't stupid. (laughs) Because verse 6 says they were aware of it. Somehow, maybe they heard this thunder, so they they fled into these other cities or towns. And some people would say, Aha, see, it finally caught up on I knew they had chicken out when it really got hot. They're on the run now. They're going to get out of there. What happened to their boldness, right? Well, boldness is one thing, but stupidity is another. You just don't hang around and let them do it. The Spirit of God here is coming in saying... um, it'd be wise to go on to Lystra. I mean, it's fine to be bold, but God wants a living, bold servant unless He wants to take you out. And of course, He did do that before with Stephen and James. But that always isn't always the case. Usually, He wants to keep those ministering until uh, it's time. So, I think their ministry had been completed there. It did what it was supposed to do. You have disciples there now. Wonder how it's going to go for them. I never thought about that. There goes Paul and Barnabas. Now it's on those guys. What's going to happen? Well, I'm sure they're going to get their share of persecution. But it doesn't say anything about we have to move on. But it's interesting. From this time on to the second century, hanging around Iconium, was this description of Paul. I think this is very fascinating. Now, it's a traditional thing, it's, it's, and it may or may not be true, but I tend to think there's probably a lot of truth with it. Although there was a book called The Acts of Paul. That's not inspired. It's not in our Bibles. We're not missing anything. And so that that writing never did have the weight to be included into the canon. Uh, It's not biblical. But this is Iconium and how they described Paul. It's the only one we have. You want to know what he looked like? Well, here we go. I don't know what he looked like. And I just have to go on this. We've heard stories about him. But uh, it's written in there. He was a man that was small in size and his eyebrows met together. <laughs> you see guys that do that, right? Uh, a rather large nose, bald-headed, bow-legged. Not too good so far, right? <laughs> uh, strongly built, full of grace. At times he looked like a man, they wrote. And at times he had the face of an angel. I think that's a pretty good description. It kind of gives us an idea. It could be true. Um, 
doesn't matter too much as far as the outward goes. But um, I think we've heard that before that Paul was kind of a like a short man and probably bald-headed, large-nosed, bow-legged. Whatever it was, I will tell you that he left an impression upon that town. I bet. <laughs> uh, either people liked him or they hated him. So, uh, and same way would have been with Barnabas there. Well, they go off preaching again. So let's um, let's pick it up at verse 8. At Lystra, and that's where they've gone. By the way, it's 17, 18 miles from there. It's not 100 miles this time. So they're really chased out of another city, aren't they? A man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, and seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up, began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore the robes, rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave you rains from heaven, and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Now that's quite a story. They've been persecuted. So when they persecute you in the city, flee into another. <laughs> Remember that? Matthew 10.23 Jesus said, even shake the dust off the feet. Get out. Yeah, Barb. Up in verse 4 and again in verse 14 they're using the term apostle. Yeah, you have, you have Paul and you have Barnabas. And they're put together. Barnabas is considered an apostle, but from uh, many of the commentaries, that he's not part of the twelve, but he, an apostle in a very general sense is one who's sent, okay, sent away. Um, and he definitely is in that realm, but he would not be considered in that twelve, but he's preaching and teaching just like them, quite the encourager. But uh, he was never included in that 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 band of the twelve, even though he and you'll see that occasionally in a general sense that even though they're not the twelve, he's still one who's been sent. Now, in a in a real loose way, you could say we're all people who have been sent out. Okay, in a lesser degree, we would be considered that, but that's you know we're not. I don't think that would, that term is probably very good to use in that because it's confusing. Usually you see disciples. But they in, in this case here, you see Barnabas along with uh, Paul with, with that same um, office or name there. There's three criteria to be an apostle. And Paul only met the third one, which is the most important one, that they were called by God which is why they said it's mentioned three times yeah he was sent out by Jesus yeah, and he had he saw and he saw the risen Lord right but he wasn't a um, he wasn't he didn't yeah he didn't uh, walk with Jesus for those uh, those three years he didn't know him and and the other ones did uh, he was one untimely born one later he was in you know he's included as uh, he's not that twelve, right. and of course they replaced you know Judas, but he's considered an apostle that on the same equivalence that they were in that he 
uh, got direct revelation from God and wrote it. And, uh, of course, uh, another uh, um, sign of an apostle is Second Corinthians chapter 12. They do signs and wonders and miracles. And that, so with his preaching of the Word, his writing of Scripture, not anybody could just sit down and write Scripture. And eventually when it became the Word of God, you either have the apostles or some that were connected directly underneath them that got direct revelation like uh, James, the half-brother of our Lord, Jude. Um, of course, you have Mark, who you know was not an apostle, but he sat underneath Peter. All of those guys, Luke was there with Paul. And Luke is not an apostle, but he got direct revelation from God as he compiled his information from the apostles like Peter and then being with Paul and getting the teaching there. So all of those men, even though they're not even called apostles, they did write Scripture, but we see who they were connected with. They just didn't loosely... And so there's a lot of books out there that were considered uh, to be... uh, like biblical books, but they were never put into the canon, like the Gospel of Thomas. That was never included because there are errors. Uh, you can tell that it's written totally different, not inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what wound up in the canon was exactly what God meant to be there. It was always there. It was just that men finally met, and of course I think God made sure that those books came in. They had criteria that had to meet, just like apostles. So, but Paul is on the same equivalence. Barnabas, in in one sense, yeah, but I think that's a general. Does that help? That's using it more generally. Yeah, yeah. But Paul, of course, he calls himself many times Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, when he has to make the authority, and uh, that's important. Yeah, glad you asked that because uh, that can be confusing. Um. Lystra, um, 17, 18 miles away. Matter of fact, they're going the wrong direction. Not really. But they used to go to cities. They're getting into really smaller towns, villages now. They're going away from civilization, which usually you see Paul in civilization and huge cities. That's what we've talked about so much. Lystra is a Roman colony. It was founded by Augustus, Augustus Caesar, right? Roman. It's in the area known as Galatia. We're still in there. So it's kind of interesting as we're studying this and then we have the book of Galatians. So it kind of correlates. Uh, No synagogue here. That tells you a little bit about it. We're getting into the outskirts here. Uh, There may have been a synagogue, but it's not mentioned. And it doesn't say that they go to the synagogue first or anything. Uh, one thing they did, they got there and began to preach. They fought through opposition. They had victory at Iconium. I call it victory. Even though they had to get out of there, they move on and they're not daunted by it. I think you call this boldness, don't you? There's no substitute for this boldness. And though that's a key ingredient and then using the gifts that God's given them. So we've made it through our uh, first part. We're moving into the second part. Uh, here tonight, Lystra. There's a man sitting there. Um, he's with no strength. The word there means impotent or without strength. Legs don't have any strength. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't walk. He couldn't go anywhere. It was congenital. He never walked. He was always crippled. No capacity for walking. He, he probably had always lived there his life. Uh, he hasn't moved lately anyway, but uh, I mean, going around traveling, that's not an area to travel very well anyway. And this man, when you're crippled like that and he can't walk, I'm sure he didn't do uh, moving around. Uh, everybody in town has to know him. Everybody knows the town cripple. And it's interesting, he's sitting there, describes him, no strength, lame from his mother's wound, always been that way, had never walked. This sounds familiar. And it just sounds so familiar. It goes back to the time of Jesus. How many times did He heal people? People that had been born that way. And in John 9, a guy had been born blind and Jesus says that He was born, He was like that for a purpose. For this particular time. That's incredible. 
So you see a sovereign God in all this. So this man is right there. I mean, this is a, an appointed time for him, isn't it? Just sitting there and this, Paul starts speaking and uh, he, he's continually preaching and this man is continually hearing. In the Greek, this man was listening. Continued. Kept on listening. It wasn't that he was a hit and miss. I mean, he is really bearing down on what Paul's saying. And Paul's presenting Christ. What else would he present? Right? He's presenting the Lord. He's presenting this gospel. So, and God's working on this guy's heart while he's giving the message. I think that's neat. So he's huddled somewhere, probably in a marketplace. That's usually where they would hang out at, where there were people around. And uh, this guy's heart's going to get touched as well as his legs. And Paul, as he spoke, he's speaking. You ever seen a speaker and all of a sudden... They, they keep on speaking, but they start looking at something. And, you, and, almost, and it takes your attention. What are they looking at? You know, usually they're, they're looking out you know, amongst the crowd and not peering on just one person. But in this case, the man has got his ears and his eyes on Paul, and Paul is just like glaring at him. And I'm thinking that God is working on Paul here as he's continuing to stare at him. And out of all that gob of people that are there around that whole area, Paul's eyes are sticking on this crippled man over in the corner. You know, cripples were very common, but he's on this specific one. And, you know, they would stand by the gates, the marketplace, wherever the people were. And I think it was the Spirit of God drawing Paul right to that man. You know, that... This, this is something here that, that God's doing. And um, when He fixed His gaze on him, He had seen that he had faith to be made well. And then Paul just... I'm sure he has a loud voice already. He's been preaching. And then he tells this guy to stand upright on your feet. Can you imagine that? And what's amazing, the guy said, you don't know me. Why would I... Do? No, what did he do? He, he leapt up. Leaped up. Uh, uh, and we've seen this before, haven't we? Of course, when Jesus says, stand up, and of course it seems like they just jump and leap and everything. Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up, began to walk. <laughs> Whoa. Now these people haven't seen anything like this. They have not heard any kind of message like this. Paul's going where the Gospel hasn't been. And Christ has been presented. And Paul has perceived that God is doing a work in this man's heart as well as his legs, right in the middle of a sermon. And you'd almost think, well, wouldn't God want to wait till that sermon is done? I think whatever he said is enough. Paul is being empowered by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God comes in here, and sometimes the Spirit of God just flows. The Spirit of God is free to exercise at any point that He wants, and He certainly did here. Yep. As they came into this city, or this town. This is true. And, uh, you know, it's very merciful, compassionate of God. We know when Christ did that, it was compassionate, but it's still pointing ultimately to Christ. What good is it if they get healed and they don't know Christ? To eternity, it means nothing. So, uh, very, very interesting. Um, the, the power of God and, and, and what He's doing here. There's power in the witnessing. There's power in the prayer that had gone on before this, I'm sure. In those 18 miles, they sure had a lot to pray about. And um, the gifts that God has given each one of us the power that's in those gifts uh, accomplishing any kind of ministry that we do when when we God has laid something on our heart of a person that we're supposed to go to or some material that we're supposed to get to people or he uses it just so many different ways and so quite a ministry this reminds me of not only Jesus but earlier in acts you remember Peter and it seems like the same thing. You have a lame man there, Peter and John. 
going up to the temple at ninth hour, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, <laughs> same kind of thing, was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple. I mean, everybody knows that they're not going to walk. They haven't walked before. And so God takes one who they know has always been that way. There's nothing that they can say, well, he's faking it or something. And uh, anyway... Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us! <laughs> and the rest is history there. And of course, we see the healing of the man there. So, what's it going to bring? Well, people are going to be overwhelmed. The news is going to get around. And so, that's what happens. And um, people are just absolutely flab- flabbergasted. And they start crying out. They're just shocked. That's what has happened. Verse. It had to be physical power that God filled that man with in his legs. Because they had never been used. That's right. He had never taken a step. He had never walked. It's like a a life has just been pumped into him. And he came. And he walked. I mean, we can take it lightly because we've always heard these stories, but I mean, this is real. That is the power of God. And the man has has the faith. He'd never seen anything like this. He didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, I mean, when he woke up that morning and he went out to the wherever the marketplace is or whatever, he didn't know it was going to be just like what it has been for years, all of his life. And he's going to be begging, probably. And then this happens. His life just changed totally. And think spiritually of what happened. He was he was blind spiritually. He was lame spiritually. And all of a sudden, it's just like things just changed drastically. So Paul and Barnabas, they can't really understand what's happening with the people here. It's kind of interesting. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice. Yeah, I guess. It starts getting louder. They just saw it. And they're saying in the Lyconian language. Now, I don't think Paul and Barnabas speaking Lyconian, but I will say that the Greek language is spread out all over. But you'll notice our inspired Bible says here they're saying in the Lyconian language, their, their own, right there, the people in Lystra would have had. So many of them might have had like two languages, Greek and and this, whatever. Um, but Paul and Barnabas may not even, they're not really understanding what they're, what's going on. Here they are. They're saying the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And so they started calling them uh, Zeus and Hermes. And there comes the priest of Zeus now. He's getting things together. And he comes out of the temple and bringing sacrificial uh, oxen and, and these garlands he's going to sacrifice. And when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, now they get the idea of what's going on. You know, people are speaking about these things and now guess what they're catching? They're, they're going to start worshiping us. They think, they think we're gods. Now, Zeus and Hermes, there's a story that goes behind this. Zeus and Hermes, we know they're considered to be gods, right? Um, the story, Zeus and Hermes, some time ago in this town, Lystra, okay, came incognito. They didn't make themselves look like gods. They came to this town of Lystra. It's an outpost, a, a Roman colony, way out there in Asia Minor. Here come these these two gods that people don't know and they're just asking for hospitality. They look like beggars. They don't look like anybody. They need a place to stay. They need something to eat, something to drink. And everybody refused them. Everybody in Lystra knows this story. This is what happened to the, this town. So, so it goes. This is the legend. And everybody in town refused them except two people. There's an old man by the name of Philemon and his wife, uh, Balkus. So they took in the gods into their house. These gods are in disguise. They don't know they're 
supposed to be gods, as the story goes. They're just strangers. So they fed them, kept them up there in, in their home there. You know what the result was? After they quit staying there, the whole town of Lystra was wiped out. Now that's what the story is. Those two gods killed everybody there except the two, Philemon and Bacchus. And they were made guardians of this splendid temple that's outside of the town there. That, that great temple. And, and so they lived on and they're considered guardians of this. They were highly honored. And whenever they died, they turned into two great trees. <laughs> now, you know, tree worship, idolatry. You ever heard of the tree huggers? There's probably something behind that in the New Age. <laughs> you go back to pagan idolatry and such. Trees are considered to be a, you know, quite a big deal. But anyway... Uh, Okay, with that story and that background, why did you tell us about that? Well, Paul and Barnabas are saying, uh-oh. Not Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they're looking at these guys. The people are, and they're saying, Zeus and Hermes are back. They just saw something miraculous. This has got to be from those gods. We're not going to blow it this time. we got to get things together right now. we got to put together a worship. They call Barnabas Jupiter. Or in this case, what? Zeus? Any, anywhere you go, different uh, nations, different empires have these same kind of gods, a god for this, god for that, god of the sky, god of the trees, you know, whatever. God of money. Patron saints. <laughs> who's, the, who's the saint of uh, traveling? Saint Christopher. You remember, you've seen those people have them from the mirror and such. They have a patron saint for everything. For even uh, eating, right? Where you won't get something stuck in your throat. They have a special day for that. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know about those, right? You guys know those. <laughs> well, that's basically what was going on here. And um, Latin is, is the Zeus there. They call Paul Mercury, or in this case, what you see in your Bibles is Hermes. So different ones. But uh, but they're the same one. They just have different names. Because he was the chief speaker. That says it there. And they're saying they're here. This is the story that they knew. I mean, they believed it. <laughs> and so here they are. What would you do if you were part of that kind of thinking? Well, let's don't blow it like that generation did. They'd seen the healing. And they couldn't ignore it. They're not going to ignore these so-called gods, at least what they're thinking. <laughs> And uh, Barnabas must have been somewhat a large, handsome kind of guy. And so they uh, named him Zeus. Zeus was uh, the king of the gods. Barnabas is Zeus. And, of course, Paul would be who? The next one, which is the the speaker, Hermes. (laughs) Uh, Wasn't hard for them to figure out who these guys are. They've been here before, right? The God of speech. The God who invented speech, as a matter of fact. Paul was probably the one doing major, the major talking. Uh, of course, we know those two gods don't exist. No such thing. It's all in the human mind. But it's in their idolatry. And that's what it was. And I'm sure Paul's saying, Hey, hey, Barn, Barn uh, you know what? If we play this right, we could really, really get popular here. We're gods. Now, Paul is not really saying this. Obviously, he does not say this. But can you imagine? Look at the position that we could have here and they could really hear this gospel. You know what? We could, everybody here, every last single one, could become a Christian if we just kind of pretend to let, kind of go along with the game here, you know? I mean, they're they're seeing these are glorified men, you know, to them. So, you know, boy, it could be a, a great pr- opportunity, a great privilege here. Boy, this is great. Not at all. That's not the way they're going to play it. And when you're when you're a Christian, we know uh, when you do any kind of ministry, a Christian has to learn how to handle um, 
pride. They could have had pride. Paul, I'm sure, had a lot of opportunities for pride. And just in case he would get it in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, he was given a thorn in his side <laughs> to keep him humble. So, And if anybody had a shot of being prideful, we sure could have. We all have that problem. That's, that's our major problem anyway. Here come the oxen. Here come the flowers around their necks. What are they going to do? They're going to make sacrifices. To who? Barnabas and Paul. They're going to sacrifice right there with them. And at first, it's almost like they didn't really know what was going on. What's, what's happening here? What's, what's this buzz? And they see the priest coming there, and they see this sacrificial animal. And whenever they finally find out, somebody tells them, they tear their robes, you know, like you know what you do in repentance and such. I mean, they're just you know, besides themselves, and they start running in amongst the crowd saying, Sirs, what are you doing? And outside the city is the temple to Zeus, and if the gods had descended, uh, the gods were going to be honored. And as far as they're concerned, the people, that's what they want to do. They want to give offerings to Paul and Barnabas. And so when they find out the whole town is getting ready to do a ceremony to honor them, they really get upset. No, no, no! Stop this! Now, if you didn't have genuine faith, you'd start taking that in, wouldn't you? There have already been men who wanted to do that. You know, they, they wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 5? And then you have a, another one. You know, they wanted all the attention. And of course, the Judaizers are going to come in there. And what are they wanting? They're really wanting attention. They want everything on them when they come in. But we know Paul's motive, Barnabas' motive. Uh, Paul and Barnabas said, we're just plain old, everyday, common human beings. And we came here to preach unto you, to preach the, the word there preaches, euangelizo, which means uh, good news. We, we came to preach the good news. And so they... Uh, the crowd's crying out. Paul and Barnabas are crying out. This town is in uproar. They've seen some great things. And then they're saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you. We preach the Gospel to you that you should turn. There's repentance right there. The reason we're preaching good news is that you turn from these vain things. And that was idolatry. What was their vain thing? Well, they were going to worship these two gods. And all their other idolatry had, and they have a temple up. You know, I mean, they have they have their gods, their idolatry, and we want you to turn from those things that really don't exist to a living God. There's only one God; He's the living God. And then they have a quote here, which you'll see quite frequently: "Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them." And this is how they do it with main, or just the Gentile people. They, they don't go back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They don't go through all that, which what, you, what you've seen when Peter was preaching to the Jews. starts right with the Creator God. And so if they're not used to what's... This is foreign to them. They have all these idols. They have all these fake gods. And what a beautiful place to start. There is a Creator God. So this is a, a blessing. The, the blessings that this God did. He's the one that created you. And when you look over into, was it in Acts 17, when Paul is um, in Athens, uh, no, no. Yeah, Athens, right? And he walked around and saw all the, uh, the idols. Um, he started with the uh, that unknown God, that topic there. And verse 24, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Does not dwell in temples made with hands. And boy, did they ever have them there in Athens. All the Greek gods and such. Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Every little breath that we take, we know that it just came from God. 
Acts 17, and I started at verse 24. Actually, starts at 22, but he addresses the addresses the Athenians there. And of course, there, right there, is a the uh, what the goddess of uh, fertility, right? Athens, uh, and at Athens you have um, Athena. Athens is named after. Um, so he gives people life and breath and all things. He's starting with this Creator God. That's where he starts with them. And he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Exactly how long nations will last. He's already determined when the United States would come into play and then when they would be judged as He has done with all the other nations and the empires. And He draws the boundaries. And He says that's the kind of God that He is that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. His presence is there. That's what He's saying back here in Acts 14 where he, you know, he starts with the one who made the heaven and earth. Verse 16, In the generations gone by, He permitted all the nations to go their own ways. All have turned aside and away from God, right? He let the nations go their own way, but all at the same time, and yet He did not leave Himself without witness. They turned totally away from God, went to their idolatry. And Romans 1 gives us a great view of that. Everybody has... A, some kind of knowledge of God just by creation. It's there. It might be back in the recesses of the mind, but that knowledge is there. But then they cover it up more and more and then finally gets into idolatry with all the worshiping of animals. And uh, so it just got worse and worse. And that's that's how it had gotten when, of course, Paul and Barnabas were around. And, of course, they're getting right into the heart of uh, the paganism, even though they saw paganism and uh, where they had been from. This is definitely uh, there. Uh, but he didn't leave himself without witness. Look at this. To sinful pagans, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven. He blesses the just and the unjust. He gives the rains, the blessings, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This God who created it, He's not far from you. If you would somehow look to Him, He's there. Now, they're saying these things that says in verse 18 with difficulty. I'm sure it's hard to speak because people have just seen some things. And it's loud. And they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice. They're wanting to do it anyway. And they made them stop. Don't even do this. There's a living God. We're not. We're men. We, want, we are here to attest. Simple, but I think it's uh, rather amazing as you compare how he uh, uses the message um, there and then later on he will do the same thing. Look, verse 28, uh, back into Acts 17. For in Him we live and move and exist. Every breath, every action, everything that we do. What I'm doing right here with my hands, <laughs> He gave me the power to do. Anything that we can do, think, it's all coming from Him to exist, to live. And then he quotes a poet there, you know, and, and such that they would be familiar with. But he hits right on where they, they're at. And so I think in much of the pagan realm that we live in, it's probably best just to start out, whether they believe it or not, that God is the Creator. They... I know it's foreign to them, but yeah, you get on a foundation and still yet there's something that's been put into their mind. Romans 2 says there's a conscience that God has given every man. And so even though they want to push it out of the way or they've been taught through schools and and everything that uh, there's, you know, we came out of nothing, you know. So uh, this, uh, this definitely is Paul and Barnabas preaching they preached in that town the gospel, and now they're just adding on to tie this all together. And uh, what a message that must have been! Wouldn't you like to have been there? <laughs> well, what did Paul and Barnabas do? They disclaimed any kind of or- glory that they could have taken. 
And, uh, of course, it was all about the glory of God and service to Christ. That has to be there, doesn't it? So they took that opportunity. Of course, we know that uh, they're going to have to move on. (laughs) So we're going to stop there tonight. And um, we realize that you preach the Gospel and you keep preaching. And you keep going even when it's not popular. Yes? There's a there's a naturally born tendency that God has given them. Even though it's very much tainted by sin, there's still that remnant of what God has made. And of course, that's the whole idea, to restore us back into the very image of God. And of course, He's doing that now. And one day in glory, we will be exactly like Christ. Same image. Not being Christ or God, but His image. Man made him in the very image of God, and of course that what God has done to uh, in His plan to restore us, and that's the good news. And it's all by His grace. Otherwise, He would leave us in our dreadful condition.